the athlete there know that he, he's just kind of being a whiner. And something we learn as kids is this phrase, and we all know it, it goes, life is not fair. Right, exactly. Or even just that's not fair. When something doesn't go our way, you know, and then our parents or our guardians or our grandparents, they always respond with, that's right. You know, life is just not fair. So deal with it. And as kids, we're just like, oh, man. Well, he grew up believing that life should be fair and balanced and that he should, you know, get everything the way that he believed he should and others shouldn't get their opportunities. But um, this whole issue of fairness is what I want to look at today as we wrap up this series on taking responsibility and um, owning personal responsibility. But here's a personal confession of mine. I'm really only concerned about fairness when my slice of the pie is, is, you know, the smaller piece of the pie. Isn't that true? Like, if I get the small piece of the pie, then, then I'm concerned about fairness. But if I get the, the whopper, you know, if someone gives me that, that quarter piece of pie, and everybody else gets those little eight slices, and I get the quarter piece, I'm not really that concerned about fairness. I'm thinking, this is another example of God's grace in my life. And, <laughs> and you know, praise God for that one. You know, if I blow past a cop on the freeway, and I'm going just a few miles over the speed limit, and I look at my rearview mirror and I see some sirens, hear, you know, see some lights, hear some sirens, and I'm freaking out, and he blows past me and pulls the guy over in front of me. I'm thinking, you know, sorry, you know. But I'm, not sure, I'm surely not screaming for fairness in that moment. I'm not saying, you know, there, there needs to be justice. I ought to pull over right behind him and just write myself a ticket because in all fairness, I was speeding too, you know. We only complain about fairness when we get the short end of the stick. This is a big issue for us. And and really, the issue of fairness, it really isn't about necessarily fairness. It's about evenness. We're really concerned about evenness. Like, life should really be even in life. And if you'd like, you can pull out this listening. I will be walking through this and then looking at a passage in detail together. Um, But the first thing on the outline says, the unfairness of life quickly becomes an excuse for our irresponsibility. Like, when life's not fair, we quickly jump to being irresponsible because we think, man, if this were fair or if this were even, um, then I wouldn't have to act out in this way. But since it's not fair, since it's not even, since I got the short end of the stick, then I can do what I want to do. And somebody else has got to come and pick up the pieces for me. And if I get overlooked, if I get left out, if somebody else gets the right job or somebody else is driving the right car... You know, why should I do my best in life? Why should I go the extra mile? That's just not fair. You know, why should I have to do that? And we get all hung up on this issue of evenness and fairness. And this really does create opportunities to just excuse away irresponsibility in our lives. If we look around and we think other people have more and we didn't get our fair share, then then we, we do in our mind justify irresponsibility. And on the other side of things, on the upside of 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 evenness for those who get a lot, you know, for those who just, you know, they just they got into the right schools, they just, you know, they're really good looking, they got a great inheritance, they just stepped into great things. Um, that's a real challenge for them. Often people in that position, they become irresponsible too because they take advantage of the situation they're in. They've got this extra time, they've got this extra money, and sometimes when we get extra, it's an opportunity to just um, be lazy. And to not really take full advantage of the opportunity we've been given. So on both sides of this issue, there's an opportunity for irresponsibility. And the real question is this. 
the question we've all got to ask ourselves is, what am I going to do with the hand that I've been dealt? What am I going to do with the opportunity or the hand that I've been dealt in life? And that's a question that has really come up in all of the messages that we've looked at. We looked at some of the different passages in Scripture. But what am I going to do with my slice of the pie? The one that I've been handed. The small one. The large slice of pie. What am I going to do with the opportunity or the life that God has handed to me? That's really the issue. And with all this, all of those thoughts, this stuff just comes straight from Scripture. God communicated 2,000 years ago to us through, um, through a story or a parable that Jesus gave about this issue of fairness. God addressed the issue of fairness in the Bible. And he's going to tell us very quickly what he thinks of it, of it when we start asking for or demanding fairness. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, we're looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 25 today. Um, Jesus taught a lot in what, what are known as parables. Parables are these little short stories. And the parable that we're going to look at is, it starts in Matthew 25, verse 14. If you'd like, you can, you can jump there in your Bible. You can follow along in the screen. But in parables, <clears throat> we come to these little stories where Jesus is trying to communicate to us humans, us mere humans, he's trying to communicate deep truths about who God is. And about God's kingdom. And he did this through these little short stories. And he, he's talking about on this one the issue of it's not fair. This whole, this whole thing that it comes up in that little sound clip that we watched. And if you grew up in church, you've probably heard a lot of the different parables. And there's some things about the parables that you need to understand. First thing is this. Um, this parable is known as the parable of the talents. The talents. T-A-L-E-N-T-S. And when we think of talents in our day and age, we think of, you know, I can sing, I'm talented, I can dance, I can, you know, I can do both those things at the same time, or we think of our abilities. And when the Scripture is talking about talents here, Jesus is not talking about how skilled we are or how gifted we are. He's talking about talents are a measurement of money. So that's one thing I wanted to uh, just clarify as we're getting started. But this is, this is some, I've got some props up here today. Jesus is going to take something that they understood in their culture and he's going to apply it to this whole issue of fairness. And a few things about parables, though. Preachers, guys that have this job that I have, we kind of love parables. Because parables are these little stories, and you can make all kinds of points about a parable. You can just take all these little things in the parable and make big points and build deep theology on it. But that's really not the point of parables. When you have parables, Jesus is really trying to drive home a single point. And so sometimes you, you, you hear a parable being taught on and, and the preacher might be going in a direction that is uh, based on some inconsequential piece of information in the parable and he goes off on this direction building this point or building some deep theology that is really unrelated to the single point that Jesus is trying to make. So as we look at this parable, there's some opportunities to go and chase a rabbit as you're reading it or as you're seeing it up on the screen and thinking that it means more than, than what it really means. And so I want to just warn you about that. There really is a, some, some, a key truth that Jesus is trying to communicate. And so don't miss the key truth. What Jesus does with parables is he talks in, in extremes. He makes these extreme statements to drive home his single point. For example, you've probably heard about the parable of the prodigal son. You've got this... It's a story. didn't really happen, but you got this dad who, who his two sons, one of them comes to him and says, I want my share of the inheritance so that I can go and live it up right now. And essentially what he was saying was, God, I wish you were dead so that I can go and spend the money that I would get. Since you're not dead, can you just give me it now so I can go and have fun? 
it's this extreme story. It didn't, you're thinking, that, you know, if that happened in the first century, there would be some sort of capital punishment if you knew about just the way that <laughs> the parents respect, or the children respected their parents. And so this wouldn't have happened in that way. But that's kind of the point. It's this extreme statement Jesus is trying to use in that story to drive home a point. Another situation in the parable is a man had a hundred sheep, he lost one, and he went after that one. That's extreme, you're thinking. Why would he do that? Well, that's the point of the parable. It's, it's, he's trying to drive home a point. And so in the same way, Jesus is going to take a single point about unevenness and drive it home. So let's look at it together. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And uh, it's kind of smacked right in the middle of some explanations of what God's kingdom is like. God, Jesus is trying to communicate the kingdom of God. What is his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? What is that going to be like? So it starts with these words. It says, again, because he's talking again about the kingdom of God. It, it is the kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, who were really like slaves. They weren't servants in the way that we might think of, or I mean, they weren't slaves in the way that we might think of slaves. These were first century slaves. They would be married. They would, some, some people would um, put themselves in slavery to pay off a debt. They could be released from slavery. They could... They could uh, work their way out of slavery, but this was a less hostile environment of slavery than what you might imagine. So this guy has these servants, and it says he entrusts property to them. Now, again, this is pretty extreme. Why would this guy entrust his property or his possessions to a bunch of servants? Well, that's kind of the point of the story. It's, it's this extreme thing. Jesus is trying to drive home a point. And he says he's entrusted. What he's doing is he's splitting up all his wealth amongst these guys. He's asking them to do what they think he would have done with the money if he were managing his own money. He's not giving them to protect it or just guard it. He wants them to do something with it, to manage it as money managers, just as if he were there being responsible for his own money. So it says in verse 15, to one he gave five talents of money. A talent, again, it was a measurement of money. It could have been either gold or silver, and so we're, I'm representing this with these bags of gold. Okay, I happen to just go to the bank. I got some gold out, and so I brought it here this morning. And we've got these bags of gold, and we've got five talents of gold. Okay, the talent we're going to represent bag of gold. Okay, one talent will represent by this bag of gold, and a talent of gold, one of these bags, was equivalent to about 20 years of work for someone as a day laborer. So 20 years of work for the average day laborer in that culture. And so this was a lot of money to receive even a single talent, let alone five talents or five bags of gold. And so let's just decide that each talent of gold in our day and age would be like the equivalent to, let's say, each bag of gold would be about $300,000, okay? Because maybe one day of work for the average day laborer might be about $15,000, let's just say, on average. So 20 years of work would be $300,000 in here, okay? So he gives one a lot of money, five different, five bags of gold. That's like a million and a half dollars, okay? He's saying, here, this is yours. To another one, it says, he gives two talents. So you've got the two-talent guy over here, $600,000, okay? This is a lot of money to be entrusted with. And he gives another one a single talent, one talent, each according to his own ability, and we look at this just and stop right there and we think, you know, that's not fair. Why? Why would he do that? 
Why would he give this guy five and that guy just one? And what, what's up with the guy in the middle? That's just not fair. That doesn't seem even. And again, Jesus would stop the listeners right there and say, it's okay, it's just a story. It didn't really happen. Just let me get to... Jesus would stop them because he's trying to get to his point. Verse 16 says, The man who had received the five talents, okay, which is about a million and a half dollars, he says he went at once. He didn't waste any time. He immediately went at once and he put his money to work. He put the money towards something that had appreciating value because it says he gained five more. He put his money to work. He gained five more. And so what he did was he did what he expected his master to do. He put the money to work. He envisioned that his, his master would actually make some money off of what he has. So that's what he goes and he does. And then so also in verse 17, the one with the two talents, he gained two more as well. Same thing. He puts the money to work. Verse 18 says, but the man who received the one talent says he went off, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, why would anybody hide their master's money? Why would you do that? Verse 19, after a long, and you might want to write in there long, 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 because this is really representing a long, long time. The master of those servants returned. He came back and he settled accounts with them. And that idea of settling accounts meant that he, he didn't expect them to come back and just bring his gold. He was not expecting the guy to come with five talents and the two talents. And one. He was expecting something more. He expected them to be managing their money the way that he would have. And so in verse 20, it says, The man who had received the five talents brought the, other, brought the other five, the ones that he made. And he said, Master, you see, you've entrusted me with these five talents, so I've gained Five more. He couldn't wait. He was so excited. He wanted to show him. Look at what I did. I was I was faithful. I was responsible with this money. I made you some money. Look at the response in verse twenty one. His master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things." To which Jesus' audience would have stopped him right there and said, "Excuse me, Jesus. That wasn't a few things. That was a lot of money." Now Jesus is just saying, "Wait." Look at where it goes. He says, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You were faithful with a few things. You're going to be in charge of many things. Great job. Great job. You can be trusted with more. Verse 22, the other guy comes up, the two talent guy. He comes up and he says, you know, here's the master. He said, you entrusted me with these two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied almost in the same way. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Hold on. Time out. You just said this guy was faithful with a few things. And now you're saying this guy was faithful with with a few things. Who's got a few? Is it this guy? Is this a few, Jesus? Is this guy? It's interesting the way that the master speaks of what was entrusted to them. He calls them both few things. He says, now I will put you in charge of many things. Now you can just imagine at this point... If this were really happening, this guy would have been like, wait a second. He's getting entrusted. You know, he, it's almost like you're rewarding us in the same way. That's not fair. He says, Jesus is kind of driving home again. That's the point of the parable. It doesn't have to be fair. And he tells the two talent guy, come and share your master's happiness. And then at this point in the story, if there was music going on while Jesus was telling it, the music would have went really dark. And dun, dun, dun. What's going to happen to this guy? Because we already know that he dug a hole and he put the money away. 
Verse 24 says, The man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Meaning, I knew that you're tough to work with. I know that you drive a hard bargain. He says, so you're harvesting where you've not sown. You're gathering where you've not scattered seed. It's kind of saying, you're a winner-take-all. When you go after something, you get it. You're a businessman. You know, how to, you know how to get what you want in life. You don't take no for an answer. You're just this hard-charging individual. You're tough. You're intimidating. And so I knew this about you. I knew you were a hard man. So, verse 25, I was afraid. And he's kind of pointing the finger at me. He said, because of you. I was afraid because of you. You're a hard man. And before I tell you what I did with your gold, this, you know, you need to know that this is kind of your fault. Because you're so hard and you're so intimidating that I was afraid. It's really your fault. He's pointing the, the finger back to... I keep saying that from week to week. Pointing the finger. He's, he's blaming his master for, for what he did and for how he was irresponsible. And his master just doesn't buy it. Look at verse 26. His master replied, You wicked, which can also be translated worthless, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew. He says, don't hide behind that. You knew that I was hardworking. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. But you were too lazy to do that. And then you want to go... And blame me. He's, he's saying, you should have known better. You knew all this stuff, and yet you dug it away. You were irresponsible with it. Verse 28. Here's another surprise. He says to his men, now take the talent from him. He says, take it away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents now. So he gives it to this guy. This guy loses it. Wait a minute. That's not fair. You know, how could... How could It'd be given to this guy. You know, this guy, he's only, you know, now he has four. Shouldn't he be given to him so he can kind of balance things out in life? Because that's what we're always asking. We want to make sure that things in life are fair and balanced. And then we'll be responsible, right? So he says, give it to this guy. Jesus doesn't correct this whole issue of fairness. He doesn't make it all feel better for us like we would want in our day and age. That just doesn't seem fair. We all need to have equality. We all need to have the same exact things and we need to be even. Verse 29, for everyone who has been given, or who has, excuse me, for everyone who has will be given more. Which, in this parable, it means those who have been responsible with what they have will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, or those who were irresponsible with what they had, even what he has will be taken from him. And he closes out the parable with this verse, verse 30. Remember, this isn't this giant pronouncement. This is part of a parable. This is part of the story. So don't make this part more than it is. It says, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, preachers love this verse because usually it sounds something like this. Now, friends, if you, if you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do this and you don't do that, you're going to be cast out into the lake of burning fire. And they'll use this parable to talk about hell. Jesus isn't making a point about hell here. Now, there's different messages that can sum up what Jesus thinks about hell. It's a real place. He believed in it. He spoke about it. But in this parable, what he's doing is he's saying this guy was in the inner circle. He was trusted with responsibility. He was in the inner circle Cast him out to the outer circle. He's losing his responsibility. 
Where it says weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's some places in the Scripture where that simply means frustration. To a place of utter frustration. Which, when it's describing hell, that is the most utter frustration. To be separated from God from all eternity in hell. That's a place of utter you know, desperation, frustration. There's nothing good about that. He's certainly making a point here. But he's not saying if you're irresponsible, you go to hell. All irresponsible people don't go to hell. That's not the point Jesus is saying here. But he's saying, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be taken. If you're irresponsible, the, the, the things you've had in life are going to be taken away from you, given to others who've been responsible, and you're going to be frustrated in life. Here's one of the points, and you see it on the back of your outline. Everybody gets an uneven amount of opportunity. Every single one of us. We all get uneven amount of opportunity, and we get held accountable for what we do with it. We're all held accountable for what we do with it. I'm going to put this guy back over there. And these opportunities, this really represents our lives. These opportunities, they're on loan to us. This isn't even ours. The things, the opportunities that we're given in life, it's not even ours. God is entrusting some things to us that he wants us to be faithful with. They're on loan to us. And another point, our responsibility is to figure out how do I leverage the opportunity that I've been given to its maximum. I need to learn what is it that I've been given and then how do I leverage that to the fullest, to its maximum. Because there are some people that have five bags of opportunity. Some of us have five bags of opportunity. Some of us have two bags of opportunity. And there's some people in life that have one bag of opportunity. And we've got to figure out what is our bag and how do I leverage that to its fullest. Every single person here falls into one of these three categories. And just like you, I know some of these people. I know some of these people who are they're the five-bag people in life. You know, they got into the right schools. They knew the right people. They were extraordinarily talented. They married well. They're good-looking, like I said. They're just, and, and it's tough when you look at the five-bag people to not get a little envious of what they've got. And to make excuses for what we're not doing. But five-bag people have this great opportunity in life. There's this tremendous opportunity for people in this category. And it doesn't seem fair to us, but they have a tremendous amount of privilege there. But you know what happens often to five-back people is they often take their extra for granted. They squander it. They're not responsible with, with it because it's been so easy for them. So over time, it leads to being taken away from them, getting frustrated. Then there are other people. There's one-bag people over there. One-bag individuals, you know, parents might, this, this might be you. You, it's been really tough all of your life. Maybe your parents divorced early on. Maybe you had to work your way through everything in life. School. You, you've just been working, working, working. Maybe you, you weren't able to go to the school, the college you wanted. You had to go to a junior college. You couldn't afford to go to a big school. Maybe you just feel like, man, I just... Everything doesn't go. Maybe you, you feel like you're, you, you don't communicate well. Maybe things just have not went your way. And then you get married and things fall apart, you get divorced, or maybe you have a hard time getting pregnant. There's just all of these things that just seem like over and over and over. I just feel like I'm, I'm not getting in life what I, I feel like I should. And you look and you compare yourself to a five-bag person and you think, man, that's just not fair. That is not even. How could God be good? And then there's most of us. This is most of us. We're two, most of us are two-bag people. We have a certain amount of opportunity in life and responsibility handed to us. This is what's been entrusted to so many of us. We're somewhere in the middle. 
It hasn't been all given to us necessarily, and it hasn't been the roughest thing. You see other people who have been really in rougher situations. We find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And the question for us is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with the bag that I've been handed, the opportunity that I've been handed? And the point of the parable is, how do I leverage what I've been given to its fullest? And I've been grateful to know some of these people and seen what they've done in their lives. And um, I'm just excited to see when a five-bag person who I know, you know, they're not just taking care of their own family and what they want to do, but they're looking outside their family. I used to work for a Christian ministry uh, known as Campus Crusade for Christ, and I worked there for five years. And part of what, my, part of what my job was to do was I'd go and I'd work on these projects with churches in a city or a state, and I'd rally them all together. And then one of the things that we do is we'd identify people who were kind of like this. They were five-bag individuals. They were able to get a lot done for the kingdom of God. And I met some characters in, that, in those years that were just really, really generous people. And God just kept, continued to just providing more for them. As they were generous, God was continuing to provide abundance in their life as they were faithful to handle it. Not to say that that is what happens every time, but there is truly a principle here at work. We'll talk through that a little bit. Some of these guys, they start schools for the underprivileged, or they go and they form foundations, and they do charities for people in third world countries who have very little. And that's what five-bag people do with their lives who want to handle it well. And I've known some one-bag people who have really made the most of their opportunities in life. They've taken their bag of gold, their opportunity in life, and they've done some amazing things. They didn't dig a hole. Now, one of the things that we get in this parable is you, you assume, I don't want to be the one-bag guy. Well, the truth is, this could have looked different if he had went and done something with what he was given. The point is not, don't be the one-bag guy. The point is, do something with whatever opportunity you're given in life. The, these guys who will turn and make their opportunity or turn the opportunity into something, this is where books are written about these guys. Movies are made about these kinds of individuals who do something with their lives. Here's a, a picture of a guy. You may have heard his story. He was speaking at the Grove uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago. His name is Nick Vujicic. And he founded a ministry called Life Without Limbs. He has no limbs. Well, one of the quotes I pulled from his website, he's, you know, he, he really dealt with bullying. He dealt with just self-esteem and just feeling, you know, feeling horrible about himself because of the way he was. It took him many years to get to the point where he was really able to say, you know, God has a plan for me. And he discovered, he found hope in Christ, realizing, you know what, I may be having one bag, but I could do something with my life. There's a quote from his website. He started this ministry. He says, I started it because I knew that I had found my purpose. He said, which was to be an ambassador of hope in my community and all around the world. And so what he does is he travels... And he speaks to people about finding their hope and their significance in Jesus Christ. He's taken the opportunity he was given, and, and he's maximizing. He's leveraging it for the fullest. That's inspiring. That's the stuff that movies are made out of. You know, we, we see that and we think, man, that is, that is amazing. Life is not that bad for me. And then there's most of us. You know, we're two-bag people. Maybe not everybody in here is a two-bagger. But I'm just going to say, most of us are somewhere in the middle. <laughs> that didn't 
come out right either. <laughs> On a roll today. <laughs> but you've got to figure out wherever you're at, how do I take this and turn it into something more? The best place to start is, is first identify what your opportunities in life are. Just identify, where am I in the spectrum of things? If you're a Christian, the best place to start, if you've decided to follow Christ, one of the things you can do is you have this extremely amazing hope that provides an opportunity for you to share with others who have very little hope in life. They have no hope for their future. They don't know where their life is heading. They're trying to balance the scales out in life. They're trying to do enough good and hoping that if I'll do enough good in my life, then maybe at the end I'll get to go to heaven, get to spend eternity with God and well, you know, in the Scripture, God's written a different kind of story. And we, for those of us who've come to know Christ, you, you've discovered that your hope is not found in your accomplishments and how much good you can do, but your hope is found in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, who offered Himself freely. And that's something powerful that we carry around on the inside. And that's an opportunity that God wants us to leverage to its fullest. Even if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to take your two bags, and use it for something beyond your own life. Do something with the opportunity God has given you in your job, with your resources, with your money. Don't just live for yourself because that is empty. If we start living for ourselves and take the bags that we've been given, just investing in our future and investing in our family, and the way we use our time and our resources, that is just empty. We don't want to live our entire lives for, for just ourselves. There's nothing inspiring about that and you and I know that so the challenge for us is to look in the mirror and ask a couple questions just to wrap things up first one how much opportunity have I been handed again think that through our life is on loan we're not going to live forever we have this opportunity right before us but this is what you get to work with if this is you this is, this is what you get to work with right now. You're 25 years old. You're single. You have an okay job. Now, what are you going to do with that? Or maybe you're 32 years old. You're still single. You thought you'd be married by now. You have a pretty good job and a lot of good friends. Now, what are you going to do with that? Or maybe you've been married for three or four years. You're trying to have kids. You can't have kids right now. What are you going to do with those kinds of situations when you just... Understand where God has you right now, the opportunity that you have. Are you going to look at the situation and say, that's not fair, God. Why did he get five and I only got two? I mean, are you going to make excuses about it? Or are you going to understand that this opportunity has been handed to you by your Father in heaven who, who's entrusted this to you for a season to do something with it? The most important verse, I think, is verse 19. It says, once again, it just says, After a long time the Master, he came... And he returned and he settled accounts. We have this extreme privilege to be able to give an account. We all get to give an account of our life to God. We all have a certain amount of time, but we've got uneven amounts of time. And so that last question is, what's the most thing, what's the most that I can do with it? What is the most? This takes some thought. This takes some prayer. But just think about God has entrusted some things to you and, and he wants you to be responsible with it. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. As the band comes up. Father, thank you once again for a very practical passage of Scripture that was written 